coaches, welcome to the United Basketball Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We are honored that you would take the time to listen to this podcast. We're also proudly sponsored by my good friends at Dr. Dish. Reach out to Dr. Dish, mention the United Basketball Podcast, and receive a great discount on the best shooting machines in the world. Coaches, I can't wait for you to hear what our guest has to share with us today. Enjoy the podcast. Guys, I'm excited about today's guest, uh, Dan Dickow, who played two seasons at University of Washington, two seasons at Gonzaga under Mark Few. He was drafted in the first round of the 2002 NBA draft, the 28th pick, played six years in the NBA, also played internationally. Currently, he stays busy being a TV color analysis. He also runs the Dan Dickow Basketball Academy. So happy to have someone who has pro experience, high-level college experience. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, for sure. I enjoy following uh, some of your stuff on social media. It sounds like you've got a great platform, and uh, I'm glad to join for a little bit. Thank you. Yeah, I, I try to do what I can for the basketball community as well. You know, being a high school teacher and high school coach is my main, main priority. Um, well, let's start off. Just Let's just go back a few years earlier in your career. Um, what led you to transfer to Gonzaga and leave Washington? Because you're a you're a Washington State guy and grew up there, but what what made that decision back back then? Yeah, the the transfer, the word transfer was kind of a negative connotation at that time, as opposed to now, where it seems like a kid doesn't get enough shots one game, he's in the transfer portal the next day. But you know, it, it took a lot of time and thought and consideration to go ahead and transfer. But I guess you got to go back a little further to reason why I went to the University of Washington. So. Um, all the great or best players in high school at that time from the West Coast, um, if you had aspirations to play at the next level, be in the NBA, which is I what I did as a kid, even though a lot of people thought that was not a realistic goal, um, you know, you f- figured you had to go to a Pac-10, which is now a Pac-12 school, um, because you wanted to play against the best, challenge yourself against the best. And the Pac-10 had the best point guards, um, Jason Kidd, uh, Jason Terry, Damon Stoudemire, um, Tyus Edney, yep. you go on, on down the list. There's so many good point guards from that league. And so I knew I wanted to play in the Pac-10. And there were a number of Pac-10 schools recruiting me. But being from the state of Washington, I was Vancouver, Washington, down by Portland. I felt the best fit was the University of Washington. I had a great relationship with, with uh, one of the assistant coaches recruiting me. I felt that was the, the, the place. Um, even before I stepped foot on campus, that coach had a chance to become a head coach of in his own program. And so he left. And so the guy who kind of had my corner was gone before I even got there. And, and I played decent minutes my, my freshman year. Uh, sophomore year, I started before I had uh, some injuries where I broke my foot for a second time and had surgery. But leading into, um, you know, getting hurt that sophomore year, I even had concerns about was this the right place for me um and during that time i had friends that were at gonzaga richie Fromm, who was a part of that elite eight run team the initial one casey calvary was a a high school aau teammate he was on that he was on that first elite eight team a high school teammate of mine was redshirting that year so i was talking to these guys all the time and i was to be honest with you i was a little jealous because 
I saw that they were improving and then I saw the run that they had and the excitement um, around the program, the fact that they're winning games by getting to the Elite Eight. And I felt like, and I'm not going to say I knew Gonzaga was going to be what they became or that my career would go the way that I thought it would have when I transferred, but I knew that they were maximizing the team's potential. I knew they were maximizing their individual potential and I felt like I, I needed a change and I wanted to be a part of something like that. And I just uh, thought about it, prayed about it. And luckily enough, Coach Monson, who was the head coach and Coach Few, um, were like, yeah, come on, let's go. <laughs> and it worked out great. What is your relationship with uh, Gonzaga today? How closely involved are you with the program? And how, what's your relationship like with, with Coach Few? Um. You know, I am close with Coach Few to a certain extent. You know, I mean, I'm not down at the facility every day, um, but we talk occasionally. We, when every chance I'm in the gym to to watch practice, we'll, we'll connect, we'll talk. Um, you know, he's a he's a very supportive guy of his former players. You know, he, he's he's been helpful for me in my broadcasting career. Um, you know, he's been accessible when I need help. Uh, you know, but as far as how, how involved I am, you know, because I'm so deep now in the in the broadcasting world, uh, I'm not around as much as I used to be simply for the fact that I don't want to have a skewed viewpoint of the team and of the program when I'm calling games. Um, I call the regional Gonzaga games that aren't on your national ESPN network, and I actually get some flack sometimes because people think I am cheering or rooting against Gonzaga. And that's not the case. The case for me is, you know, I've tried to build a, a broadcasting career and continue to escalate in this, in this industry, which I have by calling things straight down the middle, regardless of the game that I'm playing. And so for me to kind of, to develop close relationships with, with players would be a little bit more difficult to do. You know, you go back six, seven years, Right after I first moved to Spokane, I was I was around the gym all the time. I was working out Kevin Pangos. I was playing, you know, pick up with the guys. Uh, I'm a little older now, which I don't think I could guard some of their some of their young guys, um, you know. But there's there's kind of an evolution to uh, there. There's been an evolution of my my journey with the program and how involved I've been. But you know, that being said, when I'm not calling a game I'm pulling for those guys as much as possible and it's only a matter of time before coach few and those guys break through and, and, and win a national title absolutely yeah I'm definitely cheering for them for a variety of reasons and and those of us looking in from the outside just basketball fans basketball junkies we're always thinking man we know he's had a lot of job offers he has probably every year what do you think keeps him at Gonzaga and obviously it's it's a it's a powerhouse now, basketball-wise, but it's a small school, um, what, 3,000, 4,000 students probably. What do you think has kept him there? And do you think he'll just end his career there as well? Yeah, I do think he'll end his career uh, at Gonzaga. The only, only thing I think that would be a possibility is the NBA um, yeah. because it's all basketball. And, you know, you look at guys like Billy Donovan have gone to the NBA and had, had a pretty good amount of success. And I know Coach Few is really, really close with Billy Donovan, and they share, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the same philosophies of, of basketball. But I think um, 
you know, to answer your question, he's not going anywhere. I, I think there were a couple opportunities over the years that maybe he considered more so than others. I remember right after my senior year, University of Washington actually um, had interest and we talked and I said, don't do it. <laughs> you know, not that he was listening to me as a, at the time, a 22, 23 year old kid, but you know, that would have been perceived as a good move at the time. He didn't make it. Uh, and then over the years, Arizona, before they hired Sean Miller, um, Oregon, a couple times, Indiana, North Carolina, to be honest, I, I know that they asked, <laughs> wow. uh, recently, um, you know, but I think the big thing, for him is he loves Spokane. He doesn't want to rebuild. And why would he? Because where, where, regardless of what school he goes to, Gonzaga is where he wants that school to be at. Right. Knocking on the door of a national championship. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Why would you, with the stage of life that he's at, why would he go backwards to build something, even if it is for, say, $2 million more a year? Well, when you live in Spokane, the cost of living is so much uh, different than it would be if you were living in a in L.A. coaching UCLA, and the pressures are different. and And he just loves his life here. He gets to go yeah. fishing almost any time he wants. But the one that I really thought was uh, was close was University of Oregon. Uh, he's from that area. His parents still live there. He graduated from Oregon. Uh, the acting AD at the time was a is a really good friend of his. And that's the only one that I was concerned about, I guess you could say. And it right. was really close. You know, I like what you, what you mentioned there. Like if he took like an Indiana job, for example, boy, those fans are going to be so rabid and so demanding and the boosters, like you don't win in two or three years, you could be out of that job. So, yeah, I mean, I've read a lot about his lifestyle, what he enjoys and as much as he releases to the public and, yeah, I think that's a great a great fit where he is now. But uh, yeah, I'm thinking he's had some good. His agent must be contacted quite a bit, or whoever you know he deals with. So when you watched the national championship game this year, and part of me watching, I was like, you know, the way Gonzaga won that Final Four game, I I almost felt like, and I could be completely wrong, that it was almost like an emotional hangover to win that way, then turn right around face a Baylor team, which is just physical and super athletic. What were your thoughts watching that game? Yeah, the, the, you're right. It was, in my eyes as well, kind of an emotional hangover game. I mean, they had rolled everybody throughout the whole entire year. And, and you knew at some point that they were going to get a challenge. Mm -hmm. And UCLA was that challenge. And they met, they, they met every um, kind of mini challenge within that game and answered it. And then the fact that, you know, Jalen Suggs hits that huge shot, um, you know, I, I can only imagine the adrenaline rush that those guys had in that moment. And I, I don't know the exact timing, so I'm kind of guessing here, but that would have been at like, what, 11 o'clock or so um, Indianapolis time when that happened, when yeah, that shot late, happened. It was a late game. Yeah, so sure. that happens at 11. You have your post-game meeting in the locker room, you have your rehab, you have your press conference, you're not getting out of the arena until probably 12.30. Well, then from there, you're going to have post-game meal. And then anybody who's been around athletics, whether you're playing, you're coaching, whatever, you know there's an, an emotional kind of release that has to happen after a game. You can't just go to sleep. 
So I can imagine those guys didn't get to actually lay down in bed till probably 1.30 and probably not fall asleep until probably close to three would be my guess. Uh, and then as far as, you know, trying to keep a regiment or, or kind of keep a, a, a typical schedule, I know they wouldn't have woke them up, up the guys at like 9 a.m. the next morning to, to prepare for Baylor, but you know that they were tired the next game. And that's not an excuse. They're not going to use that excuse either. But uh, I, I can only imagine that had something to play in it because Baylor was chomping at the bit. Baylor was ready. And, you know, I think the, the disappointing thing for Gonzaga in the preparation of the Baylor game is they had never seen that type of physicality and quickness in the backcourt. Um, but here's the thing. Nobody in college basketball had that last year except for Baylor. Right. So Gonzaga couldn't have seen that. Um, so when that game that Gonzaga and Baylor had scheduled in December got canceled due to COVID, they didn't get a chance to test themselves or truly prepare themselves for what Baylor was like. And so I think that had a big part to play in it too. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. Many people have forgotten that the game they were supposed to see each other would have made a big difference just because you're like, oh my gosh, they've got some dudes. Yeah. They're so strong. They're so physical. They've got linebackers out there, essentially. Like, it'll help us mentally because, you know, I think that's the one uh, thing that people say about Gonzaga is they schedule power fives throughout the year. But their, their league, essentially they run that league. I mean, you can have some yeah. teams give them a, a push here there or drop a game. But there's a big drop-off in their level of competition in league play. And then, then you go straight to the NCAA tournament. And after your first round, you're playing some really good teams. Yeah, you know, that's been the the kind of mantra that's been thrown out there at Gonzaga, excuse me, for a number of years. And, and it is true to a certain extent. The league has gotten better over the last 10 years. I mean, BYU is now in the league. St. Yep. Mary's, they weren't very good last year. But traditionally, Randy Bennett has had them uh, an NCAA tournament mm -hmm. team. Um, you know, I believe if I'm remembering my numbers correctly, Ken Palm had them as like the eighth or ninth best league okay. uh, last year. So, I mean, they're knocking on the door of, of the leagues that are, that get all the power five attention. But when you're looking at the bottom of the league, they're not very good. I mean, yeah. Portland has a ways to go Pacific under Damon Stoudemire made huge strides. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. San Diego has been bad over the last decade. Um, you know, so Gonzaga has to go out and find ways to improve early in the season, bolter their resume to the NCAA tournament, um, make sure that their guys understand if we're going to make an NCAA tournament run, these are the teams that we're going to play. Play them early, get their attention, pick out the positives, pick out the negatives, uh, kind of flush out both to, to figure out where our ascension plan for the season needs to be. And, and that's where Coach Few's always been so good. He's willing to play anybody. Uh, he's willing to play anywhere. Um, and when you look at this year's schedule, I mean, you got Texas, mm -hmm. you got UCLA, you got Duke, um, you got Alabama. And I mean, I don't know if any other program that has that hard, difficult of a non-conference schedule. Yep. No, you're, you're right about that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that Alabama game. I love what Nate Oates does there and the style yeah. of play and just the quick and really intense guard play there um let's talk about the nil rules uh what do you think about that 
And do you think it's good for the game? Is it just going to make the rich richer? What, what are your thoughts on that? Not only am I honored to host this podcast, I'm also a high school basketball coach myself, and my team just purchased the Dr. Dish CT. Dr. Dish knows that coaches work very hard to save every penny they can. So I sent back our old other brand shooting machine and got a discount. We also took advantage of their one-year payment plan, paid half now and half later. And my kids love this shooting machine, calling and texting me constantly to get in the gym. And players love immediate feedback. They're able to know their shooting percentage from every single spot they shoot from. And also, using the Dr. Dish app, they can track their shots throughout the entire season or the course of their career. This is a game changer. It's almost like I hired another assistant coach, call Dr. Dish, mention this podcast, and take advantage of our exclusive discount. Now back to the podcast. Well, I, I agree with the NIL rules. I agree that college athletes should be paid. Um, but I think it's going to be a fluid fluid transition to figure out exactly how best this works. And I think it's going to take a couple of years. I don't think players, parents, coaches, anybody understands the tax implications for some of these kids. Because if, if they start making a lot of money, well, do they really need a scholarship? If they start making a lot of money, yeah. how do they – are they old enough or experienced enough with a team around them of – accountants, parents, whatever, uh, to, to handle it the right way. So they're not, you know, coming up against a, an issue a year or two later. Um, so I think that's one thing I, I think it, it is allowing, I don't know if it's allowing the cheating to now be out in the open, but it's a, at least allowing people to see the programs that truly have a ton of corporate and or booster backing behind them. I mean, you see, you know, some programs, each kid is getting, I think, $500 credit towards a car in the yeah. athletic department. I think you're seeing some some different unique ones with restaurants. So I, I think that's all fine and good. Um, but at the same time, there's not as much money as most people think are out there. I mean, yeah. you look at professional athletes. I was, in the, I was an All-American in college, and I had a couple small deals regionally with companies after my college career, but nothing like game changing to me. And even right. if I wasn't making an NBA salary, none of it was game changing. Uh, I had my, like most guys, a typical Nike contract and then a, a trading card deal. And I was an all American going into the NBA. So, I mean, for your seventh, eighth, ninth guy on a, on a college team, you're not getting anything. And I, and I, hate to put it that way. You're really not. I mean, it's, I think the Alabama quarterback, I think I saw something he's making a million dollars. I'm sure Chet Holmgren and Drew Timmy at Gonzaga are going to make a bunch. Yeah. Uh, I know I'm sure Paulo Banchero at Duke will as well, but it, it, it really won't impact as many people as people think, I, I guess is a good way to put it. And, and there's a lot of things to learn about it uh, that it's going to take some while, a uh, while to flush out. Yeah, I like what you mentioned, the tax implications. And then you're going to have what I feel like is just some this shady. This There's also there's always a dark underside of things as well. Sure. Now you have these handlers coming out. You know, what percentage are they going to charge you? Can you trust them? All types of things. I think the example that people look at, because I'm obviously right outside Tennessee, is how, you know, uh, Tennessee State picked up Ma Master P's son, you know, the rapper, 
person yeah. for he's a, he has a two million dollar nil already with some tech company at, and good for him good for yeah. him and there's no way he probably goes to tennessee state normally i don't know the whole process there um or maybe maybe he was going to go there regardless but you know are they going to drop a kid after one year if they don't uh do well i mean if they don't see growth in their item or is it a four-year deal is this two million guaranteed i mean there's a lot of things to think about and like you said if you're the guy on the end of the roster you're not seeing much from this unless you're one of these rare like i think built bar i think built bar i think they're based out of utah they picked up as a byu like every yeah. athlete's going to get like a thousand dollars or i'm probably off on the numbers so you do have those examples where they're trying to help everyone but for the most part, it's the Alabama quarterback, the Georgia running back, et yep. cetera, that's going to really um, do well with this. And these guys are probably going to be pros anyway. Yeah, and you're exactly right. I mean, it's a free market system essentially now. So really, the best are going to get the best deals. Yeah, you're going to have an occasional deal, like you mentioned, with the BYU group um, where somebody wants to spread it all around. And that's great. Um, but that's again where I think it's going to take a couple years to kind of really kind of filter everything out and, and see uh, what tweaks need to be made and then how how this is really going to happen. Uh, and on that masterpiece, son, you know that that that's an interesting one because because of social media, so many of these kids are gaining attention through their highlight videos and different things yeah. that um, maybe they're not good enough yet to play at the college level. But you're right, maybe. They've got a crazy amount of followers. Yeah. Maybe they get a scholarship and become that last man on the bench, but they can kind of bridge that gap and bring some attention to their program. It, it's a weird, it's a weird dynamic to even think about. Um, but it'll be interesting to, to watch. Well, I, I said this, like the, the three people that'll benefit from this are the really great athletes, the people with large social media media following, and and just people who are beautiful and attractive. I mean. Truly, I mean, yeah. those three people groups are going to benefit. But like, if you go in and you've got, you know, nine hundred thousand Instagram followers, but you're not even that good, they're thinking, man, this player can reach out. I mean, obviously, you're good because you're playing high level yeah. sports, Power Five. But they're thinking, man, if I can get this girl or guy to tweet out a couple times a day, get to a million followers, that's that's what a lot of it boils down to. Yeah. So let me ask you this: If this would have been around back in the day, who would have been your NIL? Who would have contracted you? You were known for the hair, all that. Like, who would have been your your company that you think you would have worked with if this was around back in your day? Not great clips because you're not cutting that hair. <laughs> you know what's funny is you probably you, you don't know this. I actually own three barber shops here in Spokane. I did see something <laughs> about that. Yeah, so just so I, I, that's cool. I got into the franchise business about nine years ago here in Spokane. I own three barber shops. Uh, if you're ever in Spokane by chance, check us out. So, um, but you know, I, I think you know, as a college kid, uh, you hate eating in the in the cafeteria, and you're not patient enough to really cook on your own. So I probably would have wanted a, a restaurant of some kind in Spokane. Um, you know, I. I I was pretty healthy eating wise back then. Yeah. Um, so what's your, what's your restaurants out there? Like what's your, is it maybe different than like, you know, we have Zaxby's and Chick-fil-A and all that type of stuff. And what Chick-fil-A is, opened their first one in Spokane about nine months ago. And it, there's still a huge line around the corner. Nice. Do you guys have in and out <laughs> Not yet. Okay. No, 
they haven't made it all the way up to the Pacific Northwest, and I'm fine with that because I'm not a great, I'm, I'm not a big in and out fan. But there, there was a burrito place called Sonic Burrito. It was just a one-off. It was yeah. a block-off campus, and Richie Fromm and I, when we were roommates, my redshirt year, it was every single day after practice. <laughs> um, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't like your chick, it wasn't like your Chipotle or your Q- Qdoba. It was a legit, like the freshest it was unbelievable it was awesome so that would have been that have been your go-to well let's talk for just a second before we get into your nba about you know coach k the farewell tour um what do you think that'll be a distraction at all for the program or not really because they've all you know i guess they have the coach in waiting on the bench already so it's a little different if they were waiting on what's what's next but what what do you think about the hire and how this last year for him is going to take you know, gonna gonna go for him. Well, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of fanfare, and it will be interesting to see how how all that plays out. Um, Duke's always had a ton of attention around their program. Coach K has always had a lot of attention around their program. It will be magnified, but I don't think it's gonna impact him and what he does. I mean, what's he been to eight Final Fours? I think. Yeah. My numbers are probably off. He's yeah, been on. He won five championships, I think. Yeah, and he's been in Olympics. He so he, he's been in these crazy settings. Right now, the difference is a lot of the focus will be on him as opposed to on his teams. Um, but it looks like he's going to have a good team. Paulo Banchero, the freshman, he's from the Northwest. I've seen him play a number of times. I mean, he is legit. I mean. He, he he would have been the best player on their team last year yeah, wow. easily. Um, you know, the the other freshman is really good. A.J. Griffin is going to be out for a little bit, start the year with a knee injury. But they got they have another Duke team from what I can see. Yeah. Last year's just didn't come together for, for whatever reason. But this year's team looks really good. And, you know, selfishly for, for college basketball fans – I think you want to see Duke be really good in Coach K's last year yeah, and make a run in the NCAA tournament. Now, I want Gonzaga to win it, but I want Duke to make a run because I think that would be a great way to kind of celebrate uh, the end of Coach K's career. Is the game where Gonzaga plays Duke, is that a neutral site? Yeah, it's in Las Vegas. So um, Gonzaga's got an interesting stretch. They're in Vegas for like six days, right around the Thanksgiving time. They you play really want a, your players in Vegas for six for for a week. <laughs> well, they're they're used to it though, because then the uh, yeah. West Coast Conference tournament every That's year true. is in is in Vegas, and so you know they've got experience of how to get away from the craziness. Yeah, know, team events or whatnot. So they play Winthrop and UCLA in a multi-team event, and then a couple days later they play. They play Duke. So looking at the schedule, I don't think they're coming home because it doesn't make sense to come home. So I would right. imagine they're staying there. Yeah. Now I'm looking forward to this season. I think one thing I really want to see is, you know, um, how, you know, having fans back. I think it really hurt Duke by playing in that quiet gym. Yeah. You know, because I mean, some places it really didn't matter if you don't get a lot of fan support. But like if you're a power five, if you got the Cameron crazies and so on, like, I think you walked in there being an opposing team, like, okay, we're not down by 10 points right now. We, the fans are not on us. They're not, we, we can handle this environment. Um, well, let's talk about when you went to the pros and you were drafted by the Kings and went to Atlanta. So going from the quiet Northwest to, you know, Atlanta, and I grew up about 90 miles south of Atlanta below Macon. So 
We used to always go to Hawks games. I mean, my my claim to pride as a coach is I'm two and zero as a coach in in the Omni as a player playing there played there, and then coaching the Omni, then coaching Phillips Arena. And I'm 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 two and zero as a coach uh, in the NBA. Uh, you know, under the under lights. But what was it like going to the Hawks um, from from Small Gonzaga? Are you looking to take your game preparation to the next level? Then Fast Model Sports is the perfect coaching software for you. With Fast Draw, build an organized library of plays and drills and create professional playbooks to share with your players and staff. You can also download over 9,000 free plays and drills from our play bank directly to your Fast Draw account. Need a better way to build your scouting reports? With Fast Scout, build custom scouting report templates to prepare your team to be the best against their opponents. The combination of Fast Draw and Fast Scout is the best way for you and your coaches to create winning game strategies and effective communications. Yeah, you know, um, you always have, well, I had a goal and a dream as a young kid to play in the NBA, but you obviously know there's steps to, to, to go to your ultimate end goal. So you gotta be a varsity player, you gotta be good enough to be recruited, go to college, be good again, all that, but you know, it was it was exciting and it was also nerve wracking all at the same time to to be a pro, you know. Um, but within no time, literally no time, it's just basketball, you know. And the one nice thing is, you're not worrying about class, you're not worrying about all the little things. You're just what time is practice? What time do I need to do be? for whatever rehab after practice, if you're injured, and then what time does the plane leave? <laughs> Those are the only things you have to, to then worry about as a pro. Um, and so, you know, uh, Atlanta was great. You know, we, my wife and I, we were there for, for a year and a half. Um, I didn't, I, I, I didn't like Atlanta as much at the time as I do looking back now, because it is such a great city. Um, because I like, as you mentioned in that lead up to that question is, you know, I'm, I'm from the Northwest. It's a different pace of life. It's a different, uh, the, the weather was the biggest shock to me, to be honest with you. My wife and I moved out like October or sorry, like August 15th after our, our honeymoon. And I had never felt humidity <laughs> like that ever oh, yeah. in my life. Cause oh. you know, summer times in the Northwest are 85 with no humidity. Oh, it's Atlanta miserable. With 85 with 95% humidity. I've lived here for over 40 yeah. years. And I'm like, the only thing that would take me out of the South would be obviously my the allergies. And you just like walk out of church on a Sunday and you're dripping in sweat for you yes. get to your car in July. It's like, you just sweat all the time. Yeah. And these guys are, I'm like, if you, if you coach football in the South, you're half crazy. Cause you're out there in July and June, but anyway, yeah. It, the the weather definitely definitely uh, gets you when you step off at Hartsfield International for that first time and that heat hits you. Um, but you know that's what Brendan served when I had him on the podcast a few months ago. Talked about coaching in the NBA is so much better than college because he's like I could drop my kids off at school, you know I could go to the office. He's like there's less hours in the NBA coaching than it was in college because of all the stuff you got to deal with the curfews and study and yeah. study hall and calling kids all the time yeah i mean if you look at it so an nba front office is essentially doing all of the evaluating and recruiting they're doing it all you so as a coach you're just focused on okay what pieces are you giving me and then how do i put these pieces together 
And then for the younger players, how do I develop these pieces? So, um, you know, I, I did spend one year with the Portland Trailblazers as a player development coach, and I loved it. Um, I, I thought I was going to get into coaching. Um, but then as the season uh, went on, Nate McMillan got fired. Um, and then when Terry Stotts was hired, I wasn't kept on the staff, uh, which is when we moved to Spokane. I started focusing on business and, and being a broadcaster. But um, I've talked to I've had a couple other, you know, coaches at, at the NBA and the in the college level that have reached out and just gauged my interest. Yeah, uh, I will never say no until I hear more about an opportunity. But um, it, it would it would be it is it would be much easier coaching at the NBA level based on just basketball. Now the travel's a whole different beast. Right, right. From, you know, October 10th to however long your season goes if you're any good or bad, but if you're bad, you're getting fired in 2 years anyways. What are some things about the NBA that most fans might be surprised to know or things that we just you know one thing we talked about and maybe it was coach sir as well just about how when the, when the season's going like you really don't practice much at all. And when you do practice, it's really light for the most part. Um, yeah. Now, it may have been different when you were playing. He said, like, today – now, every player today has their own trainer traveling with the team. There's, it's changed a lot in, in a couple of decades for sure. Well, I, I think, you know, the, the biggest thing about NBA workload is you're, you're exactly right. I mean, when you look at a schedule and you're trying to figure out when can we have a big, like – two-hour practice well you can't because you just came off a back-to-back you have most teams give you a night off after a back-to-back um byron scott (laughs) doesn't um (laughs) but you you get a a day off after a back-to-back and then you play two games in three days well okay so what about the guys that are playing 35 40 minutes a night you can't ask them to have a two-hour practice where excuse me you're going live for 40 minutes of it um so as an NBA coach, you have to be really selective when you go live. And most good coaches, you will go live for maybe, you know, the best ones I was around, they would find ways to, to walk through and get what they needed done as far as spacing offensively, um, little tweaks of angles, de- defensively, um, things that you guys have been struggling on, whether it's, you know, pre-rotations or, or rotating out of the double in the post pick and roll you'd work on that live to and drill it but then you try to find you know 10 minutes to go live i mean sometimes if you went 10 minutes live scrimmage that's all you get for a week but it would be good action and, and there'd be focus to, to one or two things you're working on in that now if you're not playing as a, as a young player it's on you to make sure you're in the gym early getting your shots you know it has changed as you mentioned because now there's so many assistant coaches where you they're going to have a more of a plan than maybe 15, 20 years ago when I was still playing. Um, but then it's also, you know, as a young player, you got to f- make sure you're still playing three on three. Um, make sure you're still on the treadmill, um, staying in shape for your opportunities. What are your thoughts on one and done kids going from high school, have them stay three years. What do you think about that? Well, I don't like the one and done rule. I I think, Kyle, if if you're good enough to go out of high school, you should be able to go. And and I've felt that for some time. You know, the one kind of I've I've always liked, I think it's the baseball where if you go to college, you're going to be there for three years, I think is what Mm -hmm. it is. Um, 
because you would at least you would at least get yourself acclimated to college. You'd get far enough along. I would think you would get far enough along in a degree um, where it's going to impact your life. Uh, you would get, you would not allow that college program to be in such kind of, I don't want to call it turmoil, turmoil, but kind of topsy turvy kind of rotating a, a roster in every year, but that doesn't matter anymore either you know, because of the transfer portal and guys transfer so far. Um, so I don't think that would work, even though I, I would like to see something like that. You either go straight from high school if you're good enough or you're three years. Um, you know, when you look at the the way things have gone over the last few years, you know, some of the better high school players are, are getting creative on how they speed up their process, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, the G League Ignite is a is a unique route. Some guys have gone to Australia or Europe, um, or you graduate high school early. Which on my podcast, I had Seth Greenberg on a, a week or so ago, and, and I asked him, I was like, "What's the deal with you were a coach? What's the deal with graduating early? How the heck do you do it?" No, it was, it was Gary Parrish. Sorry, you know, and, and he kind of shared about you know the online schools and how you get the work done. I said, I've had kids in online school because yeah. of COVID. I, I don't understand how you can get the schoolwork done. You yeah. can fast track a year's worth of school in like three months. It, yep. It's, well, you know, see that all the, you see that it's like kid reclassified class how? of 2022 is somehow walking next Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's like, really is, I mean, I'm a teacher. I'm, you know, I'm, I teach econ and I'm like, I just don't see these kids uh able to do this but uh, there's some broken parts of the system for sure um, yeah. when it comes to the educational aspect and you're still involved with youth basketball and high school players today you founded and run the dan dickow basketball academy so um as we're wrapping things up here wh why did you do that i mean you are pulled in a lot of different directions you've got family kids you're traveling you color and analyst and you own three barbershops for pete's sake like you're all over the place yeah. so Talk, talk about the academy and what are some things you want players to learn as they yep. leave the academy? Coaches, let me introduce you to my friends at ClipDraw. ClipDraw makes using video more efficient and effective. And every good coach knows that using video clips and video highlights is a great way to teach our players the game. With ClipDraw, there's fast player tracking and clear animated drawings to help you show the evolution of your plays. Followers of the podcast can get a 10% discount right now. Go to the show notes, click on the link, and enter the coupon code that is listed beside the link and save 10% on ClipDraw. Trust me, ClipDraw is a game changer and your players will appreciate you using this software to help them better understand the game. Well, you know, uh, years ago when I was kind of finishing up my playing career well when i was playing i would run a one camp a year and in the vancouver washington area we actually had the largest camp we we had over 300 kids at a wow. at a week camp every single year and i loved giving back to to kids and teaching the game and showing them things that you know were impactful for me in my career and sharing the love for the game when i ended up <clears throat> excuse me finishing my playing career uh, a friend of mine at the time who was uh, who was a high school coach, uh, he is now an administrator down there. He in Vancouver was, he's like, 
do you have any thoughts of running something more year round? I said, yeah, I would love to run like an AAU program or, or, or something. So we came up with the idea of, of creating this academy. And so at one point in Vancouver, we had 12 AAU teams. We were running, you know, clinics three nights a week. The hardest part was always finding gym space. Um, and so it became in no time a really a fun way to give back in, in Vancouver. Uh, when I moved to Spokane, obviously, you know, it shut down in Vancouver, but we kept things going in Spokane, not on the AAU t- uh, team side, but running running clinics. So right now in the fall, we're just, you know, Sundays only. Um, but our focus is, and my focus always with, with kids, and even with college players that I work with, is uh, footwork and shooting and <clears throat> the ability to handle the ball. I think if you can do those three things, um, the game becomes much easier for you. So, you know, fast forward a little bit more, um, or, or sorry, go back a little bit. In COVID, all the gyms were shut down here in the state of Washington. You couldn't get in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my my oldest boy, we'd want to go to a gym. Sorry, bud, we can't find a gym. I'd always had thoughts and ideas in the back of my head of wanting to run a, have my own gym to be able to do things. Well, Started looking, started getting a little more serious. Um, and over the last year, I decided to go for it. So oddly enough, you asked about the Basketball Academy. I'm opening up my own gym in about a month here in Spokane. Um, the Academy will run out of this gym. It's called Shoot 360. I don't know if you've heard anything about Shoot 360. Um, <clears throat> it's a technology-based basketball training facility that has opened – I think there's 18 locations across the country now. Hmm. Um, they're opening probably six or seven more from now until the end of the year in, in different parts. Uh, I know you mentioned you're kind of on the Tennessee Georgia border. They're opening one in Memphis uh, okay. in the next couple of weeks. Atlanta has a has a facility, um, but we're going to open ours uh, in yep. November. In no, November. I have heard of, sorry, I have heard about it because it's an, it's an Alpharetta. And yeah. a lot of great basketball in Alpharetta and a lot of money up there. So anyway, yeah, sorry to cut you off, but yeah, about an hour and All a half good. from me. So I'm opening one of those in Spokane and I'll be running my academy workouts uh, at our facility. Uh, I don't do the, the workouts for the academy during the basketball season because I'm too busy with train, uh, traveling for, for basketball or broadcasting work. But we'll have a full court. We'll have five shooting stations. We'll have five skill stations. There's nothing like it in Spokane, and my hope and my goal is um, to positively impact the Spokane basketball community because if you've never been to Spokane, you probably know Gonzaga basketball, but Spokane also has the world's largest three-on-three basketball tournament called Hoop Fest. last two years, it's been shut down because of COVID, um, but it absolutely takes over all of downtown um, if, if you or any of your listeners ever get a chance to, to go to Hoop Fest, don't pass it up because if you're a basketball fan, you'll come in with, oh, this is going to be great. Your expectations are going to be high. Guarantee you Hoop Fest will blow those expectations out of the water when you see it because it's, it's, it's a celebration of basketball. It's unbelievable. Is that like a week-long event or is it cover multiple weekends or one weekend? Um, how how – how... it's. A, Yep. It's always the last weekend in June. Um, and it is, uh, the games are Saturday and Sunday and they'll have, they'll have events starting on Thursday. Friday is when teams will check in, but games are played on, on Saturday and Sunday. 
uh, I mean, I, I want to say there was 8,000 teams the last year it went. Wow. Um, everywhere from kindergarten, first grade, all the way up to 80-year-olds are playing on the streets of downtown Spokane. And, you know, as we've learned over the last several years, and many of us have been doing it for a while, but three-on-three is a great, great way to teach the game and keep kids more involved. You know, if you've got six goals in a gym, you can have, you know, 36 kids, 24 kids play, you know, keep kids playing in and out. So that that's really good. Last thing before we, we get out of here, and, um, again, thank you so much for joining me on the – on the podcast, what do you think about the high school shot clock? We're just getting it in Georgia. Uh, it'll be a 35 second shot clock. Do you do you like the the whole world should go to 24 seconds and start at middle school? And what do you, what are your thoughts on this? I think every high school needs a shot clock. Um, you know, it it it's just in my eyes a necessity to the game. Um, you know, I would prefer it to be lower than 35, but at least that's a start. Yeah. Um, it was going to be 30 you know, actually, for us. It was going to be 30. Then they just told us recently it was be 35. I thought 30 was better. I honestly, yeah, I would agree. You know, my personal opinion is I think all shot clocks at all levels should be 24 from high school uh, to college. Obviously, the NBA and FIBA are that way. But, you know, I know there's a, many coaches that, you know, want that control. Um, to be able to run a set or control the pace of the game or whatnot. But I think really it would empower it would it would help coaches empower their players to to make better decisions and, and make scoring decisions. I think it would it would uh, it would really separate the good coaches who run practices that develop the skill for their players uh, as opposed to, I'll give you a quick example. I in high school in Washington when I played, they didn't have a, a shot clock. There was one team in our league who um, they were always good. They they didn't they never had the best talent, but they were known for if they got the ball if they got the lead in the playoffs, they went four corners. Yeah, and I remember one game my senior year we averaged like 75 points in high school, which is a lot of points. The game was in the thirties and it was brutal, but that team the year before we played them in the playoffs, they played against another really good team. They got the lead two to nothing in the first quarter and they played four corners. The halftime score, I believe was six to four. People were walking out in that first half. It was just a disgusting display of basketball. And, you know, I I don't want to, make any coaches listening to this, you know, feel bad if, if that's what they do because they feel that's how they win. But I personally think that it should all be 24 uh, second shot clock. Coaches will work with their players in practice to improve their skills. And in particular, you know, get into their offense quicker or be better decision makers to make correct plays as they present themselves. Yeah. And I think it's more enjoyable for the players as well. Yeah. You know, players, don't always want to be micromanaged and stop and look at the bench. Okay. We're going to run UCLA. That didn't work. Pull it out. Now we're going to run, you know, again, not saying that these coaches aren't good. The players aren't good or a lot of coaches do that. And I've done that, but it's more, it's just more free flowing. If you start young in middle school, by the time they're 10th on the 12th graders, they will be more skilled basketball players. And that's what we want to see is a more skilled, you know, I, I think, you know, high school basketball is just the purest form of basketball that we've kind of stayed out of for the most part. And I know there's a lot of transferring in high school and a lot of recruiting happens in high school, but for the most part, you know, I can look down to my fifth grade class 
elementary school, and I can see what my team's probably going to be in the next six or seven years. A lot of coaches in the country are like that. But I know there's a lot of, you know, a lot of people fight the shot clock, and I think it'll happen everywhere. Um, but we're, we're, we're starting this year on a limited basis. Then the next season it'll be everything, non-conference, region, Christmas tournaments, everything. Um, well, Dan, thanks so much for coming on and joining us. I'm, I'm glad we're able to connect through social media. And uh, a lot of good conversation about Gonzaga and Coach Few and the pros. And I think we hit a lot of fun topics for basketball junkies. They'll, they'll enjoy hearing. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I know I, I do follow your stuff on social media. You do some great stuff. And um, I had a question for you. How fun is it to run those clinics? Because you'd run some of the, the ones that are at the yeah. uh, the Hoosiers gym in Hickory, right? Yeah, I, I, uh, I've been – this year, I think it was the fifth year I've been doing it. And it's crazy because people are like, how are you doing it? You don't even live in Indiana. I never set foot in Indiana till this clinic. <laughs> and so I, I was short stories. I know the listeners are probably like, we've heard this a hundred times, but <laughs> I started the clinics as a way to raise money for my basketball team. I had a really, I was at a really lower level school. I mean, the kids were pretty poor, uh, not a lot of money in the program. They gave you no budget to start the so I was trying to raise money, but I was in a great situation. Will Wade was at UTC, um, and we had a lot of coaches close by in the area, a lot of D3, D2 schools. So anyway, I started as a fundraiser, and then I realized that was violating a major NCAA rule. I didn't know or, or a rule because I couldn't take money from an event and give it to high school kids. So I just scrapped all that, started United Basketball. I hope we run it every year. Yeah, well, that's awesome because I, I know I've seen diff different clips from those. I've had uh, Phil and Tyler on my podcast recently. I, I want to get you on my podcast sometime to hear more about the stories of this clinic uh, and how it came about because it sounds yeah, really interesting. I love talking about it. But, yeah, anytime, love to jump on and talk talk uh, how the business side of it worked. But let's stay connected for sure, and uh, let's pull the Zags to a national championship. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review and also leave a comment about what you enjoyed most about today's guest. I hope you'll join us on our next episode.